so you have three daughters, correct? Yeah. Okay. Was there ever a point when they were younger, did you ever have a situation where you felt like you were out of your depth? Like you're trying to guide them through something challenging or maybe one of them and you just feel like, wow, I am like drowning here. You know, like this is just not working no matter how hard I try. Yeah, every day, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. My guest on this episode is actor Peter Facinelli, and this is so funny, you guys are going to laugh, but my assistant Jennifer, she, I don't know if she hadn't seen his picture before, or like she kind of knew who he was, but not really, and when she was helping me out with this episode, she saw some pictures and videos of him. And she's going to kill me for this, but she emailed me back or she texted me in all caps, yum, with like the emoji with the tongue hanging out. So I had to laugh. Apparently, a lot of people have been crushing on Peter for decades, but I will tell you that he and I actually had quite a lot in common. We started off the conversation talking about his new film called The Unbreakable Boy, and it is a beautiful, beautiful film that was actually a New York Times bestselling book. And it's about a boy who was born with two things. So he had a genetic brittle bone disorder, which means that, and anybody who's a parent knows like, you know, you baby proof your house and you have to have eyes in back of your head. And I mean, it's, it's stressful as it is, but imagine having a baby and a toddler and a young child who anytime they take a fall, anytime they bang into something, anytime they have a mishap, they end up with a broken bone. And so this child grew up constantly breaking bones. And then on top of that, he was diagnosed as autistic. So if you are spiritual like I am, you believe that we kind of forge our path when we are in spirit before we come into these bodies and so from my perspective, when I look at somebody like Austin, who's now, I believe, a young man, but he was a little boy when the movie takes place, that this is a spirit who's a very advanced spirit who chose to come into this life with these two very distinct conditions to have to navigate a body in that way. And you can see in the film how his parents handle it, how his younger sibling handles it. And, it, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. So when the movie does come out in theaters, The Unbreakable Boy, I definitely go see it. Take your kids to go see it. It's a beautiful lesson in empathy and family and love and just the resilience of the human spirit. So Peter Facinelli and I, we broke down this movie and he's a producer on the film and we spoke all about it and how it relates to our own lives. And Peter and I had a lot of things in common. Well, number one, we're both empaths. We're both very creative. And oddly enough, we both have the habit of talking to ourselves, which totally cracked me up because in this movie the father like that was my dog shaking himself off the father in the movie and the father in real life he has an imaginary friend throughout his entire life who he talks out loud to to kind of work out and process everything that goes on in his life and i will tell you full disclosure i have been talking to myself since i was a kid and i always felt like 
I don't know if this is normal. I don't know if I'm talking to God. I don't know if I'm talking to my spirit guide. I don't know if I'm just talking to myself, but seriously, I get the best effing ideas from talking to myself. And I've been busted so many times, like by my son, by my parents, by friends, <laughs> like people walk in on me and they're like, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh no, I just, you know, I, I, I sorry. I was just thinking about something out loud, but <laughs> so I was talking to Peter about this and he's like, yeah, he's like, I talk to myself all the time too. And I bet like a lot of you who are listening to this do the same thing. I think it, I think it's a human thing. I think we all do these things in private that you don't like go around advertising, but I think that we all are crazy and quirky and weird beings, you know, walking around this earth. And, you know, let's face it, we all have our coping mechanisms that we use to take the edge off, you know? Laughter is my personal favorite, of course, which I've talked about many times. But Peter also talks about what he learned from his previous romantic relationships and what he's taking now into his relationship with his fiance, Lily. He talks about fatherhood to three daughters, and we just have a great old time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with handsome man, <laughs> Peter Facinelli. I just want to start by saying that The Unbreakable Boy was a beautiful film. Oh, thanks. You got a chance to see it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, beautiful film. I think it was the book that came to you kind of in an unexpected way. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Was it the family that you met? Yes. Well, <laughs> the story is very unusual. My brother-in-law owns a pharmacy in New York City uh, okay. called Pastures Pharmacy. It's it's on 34th Street by the uh, Empire State Building. And so the Scott, Lorette, went to the, my brother-in-law's pharmacy and was looking at like shaving stuff. And he just got to talking with my brother-in-law. And he's such an affable guy, or both my brother-in-law and Scott. And Scott was telling him that I wrote this book and, you know, it's about me and my son. And it's on the New York Times bestselling list. And he was just you know, being really excited about his story. And my brother-in-law, Leon, said, oh, well, you should make it into a movie. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to. And he said, maybe my brother-in-law can help you. And he said, who's your brother-in-law? He said, Peter Facinelli. He said, oh, uh, yeah. So then he got his number. And then my brother-in-law called me. And he said, hey, this guy came into my store and he gave me a copy of his book. And he said, you know, you should make it into a movie. I, I read it last night. It's a really good story. And, you know, I get that a lot. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time somebody's like, oh, I got a great story. You should make this into a movie. Or I heard this joke. You should make this into a movie. Or, you know. <laughs> so and like it's that easy where I could just kind of wave a wand and go, yeah, sure, I'll make it into a movie. It's a lot of work to set up a movie. It's like pushing rocks uphill, boulders uphill. And so I said, yeah. He was telling me a little about the story and I said, uh, yeah, it sounds good, but I didn't really think anything of it. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, oh, Scott Lorette's coming to L.A. I told him that you'd sit down with him. <laughs> so, oh, my God. So I'm like, like shaking my head. <laughs> yeah, shaking my head. And I'm thinking, oh, God, now I got to read this book because this guy's going to come to L.A. And I'm not told him I was going to meet with him. So I, I read it and I was like, oh, wow, this actually is a really good story. Mm hmm. And so I sat down with Scott for lunch and he said that he had some producers on board and, you know, I didn't want to 
I didn't want to come in on anybody else's territory. So I just, just gave him advice for, you know, every couple of months he would call me and he said, what do you think of this? He, he didn't have a script at the time. He just had a book. And these producers were like asking him for money to put up money for a script. And I was like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like don't pay for your own script. That's yeah. their job. You know? They're supposed to find funding to get a script made. So don't pay any money. So I was just oh. giving him like supportive <laughs> advice because yeah. he had, he didn't know the business that well. And we just became friends over time and, and I liked him and I liked the story. And then their producer's contract ran out and he said, do you know anybody who'd want to help me to make this into a movie? And I said, well, why don't I give it a shot? I'll, I'll try it. You know, I think it's a great story. Did he introduce you to his son, Austin? Not at the time. I didn't really didn't meet Austin until actually we were getting the movie up and running. I spoke to him a few times on the phone, but they lived in Ohio. So it was, it was far for people that don't understand, because this is an independent film. Oh, no, it's a Lionsgate, actually. Okay. Uh, oh, so behind it. So it's a, it's a studio film. Which is more challenging? Is it more challenging to sell a studio on a film or is it more challenging to make a film independently? I mean, they're both challenging, but okay. uh, to get a studio to say yes to a film is very challenging because they have their own projects. You know, studios mm -hmm. have their own things that they're making. They have their own stuff that they want to do. So it is tough to go to a studio and say, hey, will you make this book? Especially, you know, one that not a lot of people had heard. It was on the New York Times bestselling list, but it wasn't like Twilight, you know, where everybody was talking yeah. about. So I have to be honest, it was one of those projects that when I got on board, the universe just started steering it because we were going to go with one writer and producing company. And then that fell apart. And we were really excited because I thought, you know, I'd worked like three, four or five months getting it out there to different people. And these one producers, production company liked it. And then this writer came on board, who was a great writer and we were going to move forward with it. And then he got another job. So we had to put it on hold till he finished okay. that job. And then when he finished that job, six months later, he came and said, oh, I got another job. And he was like, I hate to have you guys keep waiting on me. I really love this story, but I don't want to hold you guys back. So I had to make a tough call there. And I'm like, you know, with Scott and I said, you know, I don't know, you know, if we should wait or we should move forward. But I mean, if he's gotten two back to back jobs, he might get another one if we wait another six months and, right. and another one and another six months. So I said, I think we should take it back and just look for another. And so we had to start over again from scratch. Like, you know, I, we had somebody who wanted to make it and that's tough. And then once we took it back very quickly, I had a meeting with Kingdom Films and Kingdom really responded to the story. And then I think it all had to line up at this time, you know, because there were yeah. so many things that were just like kismet that he walked into this, you know, my brother-in-law's store. And then I happened to have lunch with him. And then you know, this production company fell off because of that writer. And had I not waited the six months, you know, for him, it just was all timing. Like all those little obstacles were happening because we had to get it in the hands of Kingdom Films at that time. Because when COVID hit, you know, everybody was in lockdown. Nobody was making anything. There was a lot of downtime. And John Gunn, you know, was sitting around not working because of COVID. So he read this and he responded to it and Kingdom Films responded to it. And then because John Gunn wasn't working at that time, because everything was in shutdown, he wrote the script in like two months, 
Like, oh, it was, no way. It was so fast. And, and the script that he wrote was like 95% the same script that we shot. Like it was, I've never seen a first draft that good of a script. The script was incredible. It was incredible. I yeah. was actually jealous because I was like, damn you, John Gunn. Have you written a script before? A yeah, movie? I wrote the last movie I directed, The Vanished, with uh, Thomas Jane and Anne Heche starred in it and mm-hmm. uh, Jason Patrick. And I wrote and directed that. And is Kingdom Films, is that a faith-based production company? Yeah, it's a faith-based production company. And also, you know, this wasn't super faith-based, but it had a great message, you know? Yes. So they were at a place where they were also branching out to do more just good stories with a good message that maybe had an appeal to even more, you know, than specific faith-based movies they were doing. So it was a little out of their wheelhouse, to be honest, of what they were doing. But again, it's like all of that, those obstacles led to this, the timing that the universe was like, it was like on its own time, you know what I mean? So yeah, it really gave me perspective on things because I always thought like when things don't work out, instead of getting frustrated, now I think, oh, it's a for a reason, you know, yes, because absolutely. it's good, you know, because I'm supposed to do something else or because, yeah, you know, and so when that production company didn't work out, I mean, we had a, an Oscar award winning writer and a great production company. And when he got so busy and then that production company fell out, I was, you know, a little, that little can be sad. Frustrating. That, that yeah. Frustrated. At first glance, that could be frustrating. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I mean, it was happening and now we have to start all over. I have to start sending the script out again to people. And I started wondering like, is this going to happen? You know, is this movie actually going to happen? And it had been like a year, a year and a half, which is very short amount of time. I mean, I've had projects, The Vanished. It took me seven years to make that movie. <laughs> you know? oh. I wrote and directed it and it took me seven years to get financing to get that made. And this one was a year and a half. So I want to tell you what, just because it's in the same theme of what you're talking about, which yeah. is like surrendering to the universe, right? Yeah. So when I watched this movie, The Unbreakable Boy, what really spoke to me was, I feel like sometimes, I don't know if you want to call it like God, the universe, whatever. It's like yeah. something is happening that's almost beyond your control because you're supposed to get from one place to another. So in this story, when the main character walks into the clothing store and he kind of falls in love at first sight with this woman's yeah. like blue eyes, it was almost like a force that was beyond his control, yeah. you know, and then she becomes pregnant and it's like beyond his control. Right. Oh. And then they have the kid and then Austin, he's born with this brittle bone syndrome and he's got autism and that was beyond his control. And all these mm-hmm. things were like beyond his control, but it made him a better man. Yeah. I loved that. I loved yeah. that. And, and that's what, you know, was so appealing. And it's so interesting that the way this happened was mirrored that it was like a lot yeah. of things were happening beyond our control, but we never, I mean, at one moment, you know, Scott was like, Hey, do you think we're going to be able to make this? Like, cause he was kind of, you know, frustrated too, that that other company fell apart. I said, Scott, the one thing I have is I have a strong tenacity. So like when I became an actor, I, I, I knew no, nobody in the business when I became an actor. Right. And I'd never taken an acting class and I had never even, you know, and I was super shy, but I had it in my head that I was going to be an actor. And I took an acting class when I was like, late in life like 18 or 19 and I thought to myself you know I'm gonna do this and even if it takes me to 70 years old I'm gonna do this until I get a paycheck 
I'm going to get a paycheck rag. That was my only goal. I, I love will that. get a paycheck rag. And, you know, a year or two later, I started working. You're from Queens, right? Yeah. Queens, New York. Yeah. Did you just like hop a flight to LA and you're like, where would you no, start? I, I took an acting class, just a, like a, a weekly acting class, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to St. John's University, actually. And I took an acting 101 class. I fell in love with it. I always wanted to be an actor when I was younger, but I also thought it was like, you know, telling my parents I want to be an actor is like telling them I was going to go to Mars. You know, it's just like, they're both from Italy. I'm first generation American. We know nobody in the business. Never right. did a school play, you know? So when I took the acting 101 class, I kind of fell in love with it. I started taking this acting class through this guy who was a manager and he was a, a teacher and I would take his class once a week. And he said, you know, I think you're talented, but if you really want to be an actor, you should study it, you know? So he helped me transfer into NYU and I started studying acting there. And I went to uh, Tisch School of the Arts for like two and a half years. I had like one semester left and I got a, a job. And so I thought, well, I'll just take the semester off, you know, and then I'll go back. And then I got another job and I got another job. I just never went back. Right. I never had to really like hop on a bus and go wait tables or anything. I just kind of started working and I and I was fortunate enough, it's almost 30 years later, still working, you know? So okay. I remember someone said, would you want to go back and get your degree? And I said, no, because so many people got their degree and then didn't end up having a career. So it, it kind of keeps yeah. me hungry because I have no backup. Yeah, I have no backup Yeah, plan. yeah, yeah. Well, at <laughs> this know? point, I mean, you've got quite a resume at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I went, it would just be a piece of paper. I mean, I've learned more. 15 credits more isn't going to make me a better actor. Yeah. What was your moment, like your moment of, I can't believe I'm here. Like, was did you say it was Twilight where you kind of felt like, oh my God, like, how did I get here? Like, I really got here. I really did this. I have those moments still. Like I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm on set. I still have those moments where I'm like, right. it's been 30 years. And I still have those moments almost on every job. I have those moments <laughs> like, and I've never sat there and been like, wow, I made it. Like, I've never thought that because I'm always right. like trying to, you know, raise yes. the ball or move. So it's like, I don't know if there's ever a destination for me because I mean, my first goal was get a paycheck. Right. So mm-hmm. I could have been like, I made it and I'm good now. <laughs> but then it was like, well, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? Listen, you know? yeah. So I just focus on the journey, I guess, in that sense. But um, I had Go that ahead. tenacity and I told Scott, I said, you know, Scott, I'm going to say the same thing to you. If it takes me to the end of my life, I will go down on my last breath, still trying to make this film because I know it's an important movie. Like I feel like it's, it could help heal people. And we're in a place right now where there's so much anger and frustration and wars and, and hurt. And you you have a story like this that just is so inspirational and so beautiful. And to look through the eyes of Austin and see how he just responds to everything with love. You know, so, you know, mm-hmm. when he's getting bullied at school and doesn't know he's being bullied, then the bully doesn't win because right. he's not responding <laughs> to it. You know I mean? It just shows you like your response to something. Yeah. You have control over that. You can't control if somebody says something to you, does something to you. But you have control over yeah. your response. So the fact that Austin doesn't understand that somebody's bullying, because why would they? Because he comes from such a place of love, right? So mm-hmm. if they're making fun of his shirt or something, and he thinks, oh, they like my shirt. And yeah. so then the bully automatically loses because he's not getting the response. And then his love 
is infectious. So all of a sudden the bully becomes, you know, infected by that love and, and the bully changes. So like, there's just little stories like that, that really, when I was reading the book really got me. And I thought, you know, the world really needs, everybody needs to be a little more like Austin. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting because when you think of autistic children or children that are on the spectrum, and I know that there's a wide range of the spectrum, just putting the brittle bone disease on the back burner for a second, people tend to look at it as a tragic diagnosis, right? Mm. It's like that would be any parent's worst nightmare is to get that autism diagnosis. But what's so interesting is that it's almost like they come into this world as a vessel of purity, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't have the awareness to see a lot of the ugliness in the world. You know, it's like why we love animals. It's why we love babies. Yeah, there's a a purity about that. Yeah, totally understand what you're saying. And then you have the brittle bone disease, which was really interesting for me. And I'm sure for you too, as a parent. So you're watching this kid because as it is toddlers, it's very nerve wracking, right? You have the gates up and you have the outlets covered. And this kid, every time he falls, it's a potential catastrophe. Yeah. I mean, you're worried enough as a parent. Now it's like, you have to like, worry that your kid just bumping into something is a hospital trip, you know? So yeah. I can't imagine the level of anxiety that produces in a parent to be, to have to like worry all the time like that, you know? So yeah. I give Scott and, and his wife a lot of credit, but then the reward is Austin, you know, cause he's Oz man. He's awesome. And then just to see how all those events kind of unfolded in the book, like you said, and then it becomes, kismet because everything's like lines up the way it's supposed to be and right. uh, firstly i want to thank athletic greens for sponsoring this podcast athletic greens has a product called ag1 that i have been using literally every morning when i start my morning with ag1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie it's a whole different ball game so i wake up in the morning as soon as i get down to the kitchen i put in a scoop of ag1 into my water i stir it up i drink it down it's a few seconds out of my morning and i just feel so much more energetic than i did before i get 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. 
Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, I love the part in the movie when, because, so just to kind of fill in the blanks for people. So Austin is born with a genetic brittle bone disease. So his Mm -hmm. bones break very easily. So he has a lot of bone breaks throughout his childhood. And then he's also diagnosed with autism. So it's like a double header and the parents really have their hands full and it's challenging. And then they have a second child. And so Austin has a younger brother. And what I, what, and you often hear stories about, I guess what I would say, like typical children growing up with a special needs sibling and how mm-hmm. that affects them because so many resources and so much attention is put on the child that has special needs. And sometimes that can maybe create like resentment in the typical yeah. child. But yeah, I yeah. love the line in the film where the brother says, I'm honored to be your brother. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And, yeah, and you know, his beautiful. brother, Logan, is he's such a great guy. Like you could see the bond that they have with each other still, you know, mm-hmm. and um yeah, it's just such a beautiful, they have such a beautiful family. But I love the idea of the title is The Unbreakable Boy. And it's like Scott realizes that he's always trying to fix his son because he's like, I want him to, to fit in. And and how can I be there for him? And he, he feels like he's always failing. But then he learns from his son so much and he realizes that he was the one that was broken. Right. And so his son was there to heal him. And then yeah. as a parent, that's so beautiful. Cause as a parent, you're like, oh, I got to teach them this. I got to teach them that. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, if you really look at it, like it's a two-hander because your, sure. your child is there to also teach you, you know, mm-hmm. and also make you stronger. And, and, and I love that. I love the idea of that. Cause I always thought as a parent too, my job is to take care of, to guide, to, you know, it's yeah, a lot yeah. of pressure, but, but now I look at it like there's so much that I learned from them too. And, and now my kids are a little older, you know, I look back and I'm like, look at all the amazing things I got to do and experience being a parent, like taking them to their soccer games and mm-hmm. watching Disney movies. I probably never would have watched. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember coaching my daughter's soccer team because the coach just never showed up. 
So they were like, what do we do? And I was like, I'll coach them. And I knew nothing about soccer. So like, I was like, practice next Tuesday. And I, and I come <laughs> with a book and I'm like trying to read the book and try to do drills that learning. So I was learning soccer with her, you know? Yeah. So it's such a beautiful perspective to have. So you have three daughters, correct? Yeah. Okay. Was there ever a point when they were younger, did you ever have a situation where you felt like you were out of your depth? Like you're trying to guide them through something challenging or maybe one of them and you just feel like, wow, I am like drowning here. You know, like this is just not working no matter how hard I try. Yeah, every day, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I mean, my daughter's 23 and she was asking me for advice the other day and I was giving her advice and I thought, but honestly, I don't know if that's the right thing. So you have to go with your gut because, you know, I think that's what I would do, but you're you. So, you know, you really have to decide for yourself because you, me giving you that advice and then having you just do that again, it's like, I don't know if I'm right. <laughs> so having an adult conversation and wanting to like help her, but also wanting her to, to go with her gut because, at the end of the day, if she decides to do this, other, it was a job that she had gotten offered and she was like, I don't know if I should take it. And I was like, but if she took it and then was miserable, then I gave her bad advice, you know? So I was right, like, right, right. you really have to just search inside and, and really, you have the answer. I was like, I could tell you what I would do, mm -hmm. but it, that doesn't necessarily make it the right thing, you know? So yeah, it's tough. At all ages, it's tough when they're little. And, you know, I remember my daughter was eight and I lost her. We were up in these mountains in, in Italy and I went to go throw something out and I turned around and I thought she went into this restaurant with my parents because we were out, out front of the restaurant. And when I went in, inside and I, I sat down with the rest of my family, we had about 10 of us. And I, I just thought she was like with one, one of her sisters or something. Then everyone started sitting down. And I was like, well, where's Fiona? And they Oh, I don't know. I was like, I, well, I haven't seen her in like 15 minutes. Like I'm searching the restaurant and, and she was eight. So it was terrifying, you know? So, you know, that's a mother's worst nightmare yeah. when we leave the kids with the dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dads yeah. tend to overlook the fine details. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things I just turned around my bag and when yeah, I turned around again, she was gone. So I thought, oh, she just probably, my family was like standing nearby. So I was yeah. like, oh, she probably wandered off with them. But she, she walked, there was like a, it was like an outdoor concert, like a, not a concert, it was a guy playing a violin in the middle of the mountains. It was really beautiful. So it was like a picnic, you know, during the day. But there was a guy with a flannel shirt and she thought it was my dad. And so she started following him and then realized, oh, that's not him. And then kind of got lost in this that's crowd. That's like the Home Alone 2 movie. Yeah. Yeah. He follows he follows a guy with a beige coat through the airport thinking it's yeah. his dad. That's pretty funny. We found so, her. We found her. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever been given in your life? Wow. That's a tough one. I mean, there's so many like little things that, that I think can come to mind, but I like to always think of something's, you know, when you're having a bad day or even a good day, it's very cliche, but the moments will pass. Right. So like, knowing that no matter what it is, good or bad, it's going to pass. So just enjoy that moment, whatever it is, even if it's like frustration or whatever, because like th this movie taught me, you know, that frustration was needed to happen 
mm -hmm. order to get the script in the right hands of the right people at the right time. And this movie actually was made because we were in quarantine. You know, Lionsgate, one of the reasons why they took this movie was because it was a small enough cast that they could, you know, shoot this movie potentially during this lockdown. And there were no other movies were being shot. When we shot this movie, Lionsgate had zero movies on their slate. Why did they let you do a production during a time when no production? Because it was, it was November of 2020 and mm -hmm. things were just starting to open up. I don't even think they had the vaccine yet, but things were starting to open up and they had Zach's movie, the, the football movie that he just did. I forget the name of it. But because that one had like football teams and like, a massive crew they thought well we can't shoot that right now so they pushed that movie and then they had a small window and they thought well this movie could be doable if we test every day and we follow protocol so it was almost like a test experiment of like let's see how it goes with this movie because movies started worth filming at that point in time but they there was none being shot in the u.s they were like being shot overseas so this was like one of the first movies that they were experimenting with to see if they could, in a bubble, start filming again, right? Did you get through it without anybody coming down with COVID? Yeah, nobody got sick. Nobody wow. got sick. We followed very strict COVID protocol. We're kind of in a bubble in a hotel. And, you know, everybody kind of was really careful and nobody got sick. We didn't have to shut down. You know what great. I wanted to ask you, actually? You chose to take a small role as a preacher. Yeah. Yeah. How come you didn't choose to take the lead role as the father? You know, I didn't feel like I was really right for the lead role. And I was really functioning on this movie as a producer. Like, okay. I come on to movies like some, I produce and I write, I act and I direct, right? So I don't want to have a vanity project where every movie that I produce, I'm starring in, I'm also directing i'm also writing if I, yeah. I look at a project and i say how can i service this film the best and some movies that will be acting in some movies will just be directing some movies i might just produce and some movies i might write and produce or some movies i might direct and act in so it's like whatever i feel like is best for the project not best for me right right and yeah. with this movie, I thought, you know, it's a great role, but I feel like Zach was a better fit for that role. You know, he did a great job. Yeah, did and a great he did job. a great job. And when Zach came on board, you know, there were some discussions with maybe me playing, you know, the imaginary friend. But mm -hmm. then Drew was just a perfect fit when you put those two guys together. You're just like, yeah. okay, that, that's better. And then there was this small role of the priest. And I thought, you know what? I'll do it I'll, more for uh, fun. I'm just going to jump in and play that role, you know, because I was like, I like the story. And I thought, OK, well, I'll jump and do that for fun. I did more for a cameo. I don't even think I took a credit on the film because it was only like four scenes. But I, I was glad I did because I was going to be on set anyway, producing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I thought, well, if I'm there, I'll throw my myself in that role and then they'll have one more name to you know help sell the movie. But yeah, I kind of look at movies and I look at what's how can I service this film? You know, that felt like the best fit. I wanted to ask you with the imaginary friend, because this is based on a real person yeah. and it said at the end of the film, he still speaks to his imaginary friend. 
Yeah. What's interesting about that and in the scene when he's like, I've been talking to you my whole life, you know, mm. like, are you God? Like, who are you? And it's funny because I've always been a person who thinks out loud when I'm by myself. Yeah. So I was like, I could totally relate to that. Like, I don't have a name for, <laughs> for the person, but yeah. like, do you ever like think out loud, talk out loud when you're by yourself to like process it's, things? It's embarrassing, but yes, all the time. To yeah. the point where my daughter came to me once and she said, oh, my friend's parents said they saw you at the airport and they said you must have been running lines or something because you were like talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I wasn't running lines. I was literally talking to myself. Oh my God. Yeah. I think it's more common than not, especially with creative people. Yeah. And especially like I started off as a print journalist and mm. that was the way I would write. I would talk to myself and then be like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I would like run and type it out. And that's, you know, rather than just like sitting at the computer, is that something that you ever did when you were writing scripts? No, when I write scripts, I'm more in my, my brain about it. Okay. I guess once in a while, I'll actually try saying on a voice recorder, like I'll play out some scenes sometimes dialogue wise, and then I'll be like, how does that sound? So once in a while, not for every scene, but if I get into a rhythm and I'm like trying out some dialogue, I'll do it on a voice recorder and kind of play okay. both parts and see how it sounds, you know? Okay. But uh, I think it's more when I get angry, if something happens, like somebody bumps into you and is rude and then like you didn't respond you know and then I'll all of a sudden I'll start hey buddy get out of my way <laughs> and I'll start like literally reenacting the the scene right, right, I'll, right. Try, I'll say this and then I'll say that and then or I'll say this or and I'll go through like five scenarios that never happened because I was yeah. like no I, I get it no judgment yeah. <laughs> Guys, said um, something really rude. And I'm like, sorry. And I'm like, I shouldn't have said sorry. I should have been like, dude, I'm going to knock your glasses off. And like, no, maybe I should have said this. And maybe she said that. And like literally acting out these scenes. That is so funny. <laughs> you know, I wish we had a take two in life, right? Don't you wish yeah. you'd be like, uh, can I do that again? <laughs> yeah. Well, Will Smith, you know, maybe yeah, he I was just thinking that. I bet you Will Smith wants to, wants to take two on that one. So I, I want to ask you about relationships because relationships, especially like romantic relationships, they have their ups and downs, right? I mean, they, like you see it in this film, you know, the guy, he's under a lot of stress. He turns to drinking and then he's a recovering alcoholic and then he gets back together with his wife. So I wanted to ask you because I know that you are now, you're about to get married. Yeah. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway from your first marriage that, mm. I mean, aside from your kids, like what was your biggest takeaway from the actual relationship with Jenny that mm. you said, oh my God, okay, going forward, I now know that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm not going to do A, B, and C, or this made me a better person because mm. that I can take now into this relationship. I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I really thought about that because I always felt like, you know, when you're in a relationship, I think every relationship is different. So it's like when you're with this person, you're going to respond differently than I would have with my ex-wife. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you start to get into bad. Oh, I'll tell you one. I actually talked to my fiance about, I think in relationships, right? In the beginning, they're wonderful. 
and you have this yeah. honeymoon period and it's fantastic. And then slowly over time, somebody might say something that kind of is hurtful or, you know, and then the other person might permit it and then they get into a habit. So bad things can become habitual the way you start to treat each other, right? And then giving the other person permission or allowance to talk to you a certain way, or, you know, everybody has a bad day, but if that person talks to you a certain way or, you know, does something, then all of a sudden uh, they feel like they have permission to do that because you didn't say, hey, that hurt my feelings, you know? Because you didn't uh, speak up, yeah. You didn't speak up. So I think when Lily and I got together, it was so wonderful And I said, you know, I really want to hold on to this Mm -hmm. and I want to be really careful with each other and let's really work hard every day to not get into bad habits. You know, I like that. And so it's been six years and like, I'm really proud of the relationship we have because Mm -hmm. we rarely ever raise our voice to each other ever. Like if we have a disagreement about something, we talk it through Mm -hmm. and I don't fight with it. Like arguments don't have them, you know, because it's unnecessary. Nobody wins in an argument. You know what I mean? When you're yelling and then just being really careful, like not to hurt feelings and then make it okay to do that, you know, then all of a sudden it gets habitual and it grows. And then you get resentful because you're like, and then when you try to change those habits, I, I was actually talking to a friend about this, you know, it's a relationship's like a tree, you know, and in the beginning, if it starts to bend, right, you can correct it. But if you allow it to continue in that path, there's nothing you can do to bend it back because it's already grown in that and solidified. So, mm-hmm. so just being super careful to treat each other with respect to treat each other with kindness, to be honest with each other at all costs. Because once you start, you know, not doing that and you feel like you have permission to not do that, then all of a sudden it's like those arguments, you know, yelling, it becomes habitual and then it corrodes the relationship. So yeah, I would say that's what I learned is like to just not get into bad habits. You know, I like that. And what did you come into this life as Peter Facinelli to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? Hmm. I mean, for me, what did I come here to learn? You can usually tell by the patterns, like yeah, the patterns that yeah, keep yeah. showing up in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think to learn to, to, to speak up for myself, for sure. Because mm-hmm. I'm very much a guy that's a very laid back. So like, like when the guy bumps into me and is rude, <laughs> and I say sorry, you know, to him. And then yeah. when he walks away, I'm like, why didn't I speak up for myself? Why didn't I say that? I should have said this or I should have, you know. So I think I what I'm still working on is boundaries with people okay. because I've often, I'm such a giver that I give too much, you know. And then when I give too much, it gives them permission or they feel like they have a right to take, right? So then if I'm like, I can't give that, amount anymore, whatever that is, you know, not just money. I'm just saying whatever I'm giving, if I'm like, I can't give that right now, I usually get attacked for it because when somebody's getting something all the time and then you say no, and you set the boundaries too late, 
then mm-hmm. they get upset. If you set the boundaries in the beginning, they won't get upset, you know? But if you give, 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 give something and then just go, oh, I can't give that anymore because it's just exhausting. Then all of a sudden they're angry at you because you've always given, how dare you, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, learning boundaries is something that I really, I'm still working on. Okay. And then to teach, you know, I feel like, I'm an empath, so I feel a lot of things. I feel people, I feel people's energies. I try to use stories, you know, to entertain, to heal, to, you know, because with movies, it's like, you could have a movie and like this movie is very inspirational and you you can sit back and you, you're you like, I, I became a better person for reading Scott's story, you know, mm-hmm. from, from the inspiration that it gave me. Watching this movie, will improve your life if you take from it and apply things in this movie. It's like you grow as a person watching this movie. But there are also movies that are just pure entertainment, you know? And so those movies also allow another person to just shut out their life for a minute. Absolutely. That's healing too. So Mm -hmm. all their problems, if you make a good movie, even if it's not this spoonful of medicine, it's still, if it's a good movie, allows that person to just escape from their life for a minute and just go through a ride of emotions. And like, yeah. that's also healing. So I don't know the correct terminology for teaching, but but what, I, what I'm trying to give the world is moments of entertainment to heal, you know, to heal them in some way. I like um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And The Unbreakable Boy, when is it out and where could people see it? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> they can see it everywhere because it's going to be in, in theaters, so, okay. which is really nice. We're getting a really wide release. Oh, nice. Um, okay. I mean, there's posters up in Italy, so it'll be worldwide. Someone said they saw a poster for it in Italy, and, and I'm sure the UK will have it. Like, It's going to be a, a big worldwide release, which is really great because I think the world needs something like this right now. But Are I'm, you doing theatrical release and streaming at the same time? or No. Okay. We're going to do theatrical and then, you know, it's a studio film. So they usually wait okay. and then they, they come to streaming later, but I'm not exactly sure when, because we were supposed to release in March and then they pushed the release date because we had a wave of the coronavirus and they were worried mm-hmm. that people were just not going to go to the theaters at that moment. So it's great because I think Lionsgate really believes in this film and really understands the importance of this film. So mm-hmm. they wanted to have the best chance and the best opportunity at the best time. So I think in the next three months, I would say no more than six, but within the next three, probably it'll come out. I'm guessing May, you know, maybe even April. I'm not, I'm not sure though. Cause I, you know, we were supposed to go, I think March 20th. And so I think they're just waiting for the virus to kind of settle down. So they have a little yeah. window where people are starting to get back into regular life stuff and yeah. then uh, they'll release it. Okay, cool. Well, I'm taking my 12 year old to see it. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that yeah. line, I, my, I took my 15 um, year old saw a cut of it. You know, that line at the end, I don't want to spoil her, but it's like when he says this moment is the best moment of my life, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, I love, love that. that. I, I would say that to my kids. I'd say, uh, let's have the best day ever. I would always say, let's have the best day ever. If you set your intention of having the best day ever, like even if the guy bumps into you and you get mad, you're like, I'm the best <laughs> day ever. You know? Yeah. 
But my daughter saw the film and, and she leaned over and she said, this moment, best moment of my life. Oh, uh, so sweet. It was worth I making a movie just for that because it's like she got it. You know, she really yeah. got it. And it almost that's, made me cry. Like that's I'm very almost crying right now. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, Peter, I want to thank you so much. The movie was oh, incredible. Thanks. And thank you for your generous time. I appreciate it. Thank you, too. Really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, ditto. All right. Have a good one. Have a safe flight back. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, so I really hope you enjoyed this interview. This interview was so cool because it was funny, it was poignant, it was interesting, it had depth, and I loved how we kind of weaved in and out through the conversation talking about the film, The Unbreakable Boy, which Peter produced and also has a role in, and also how a lot of the lessons in the film kind of pertain to life and pertain to Peter Facinelli's life. So I, I just love how this particular conversation went and I hope you guys agree so of course if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts please leave me a review please subscribe to the podcast it really helps me out and of course I love to hear what people think about specific episodes I enjoy getting that feedback so please by all means but keep it respectful keep it sweet keep it cute please let's be nice to everybody and I will catch you on the next go around Peace.